0: All right. Good evening, comrades, and welcome to the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. Tonight is January 26, 2023. I want to thank you all for coming tonight. Fascism in the present day is our class tonight. What we're going to be learning from is we're going to be examining fascism as it stands in the present day in different countries in Europe, Asia, and South America, as well as examining fascist movements nowadays in the United States and where they are and where they stand in regards to gaining power. Uh, we would be reading from the Dimitrovs, The Fascist Offensive and the Task of the Communist International, um, but on Tuesday, we didn't have enough time for it, so I don't know if we'll be able to get to that tonight either. Um, that's definitely a class that we can have in the future, if not. Um, and we have that book available on New Outlook Publishers as well. So a preface, Fascism in the Last Century. Fascism emerged as a major force in world politics in the 1920s following World War I and the Bolshevik Revolution. The same force whose contradictions gave rise to socialism gave rise to fascism, imperialism. The Treaty of Versailles and the other post-war constructs dealt countries like Germany and Italy an economic blow that ravaged the working class of those countries. Unfortunately, Due to many issues both inside and outside the socialist movements of those countries, the socialists failed to do in those countries what they had done in Russia in 1917. The fascists, whom in some cases used the word socialist to describe themselves, grew and used nationalism and scapegoating of groups of oppressed peoples and leftists, rather than class struggle, to gain support from the working class, At the same time, they used ruthless terrorism and political sabotage against the socialist and progressive liberal forces to suppress their opposition. They quickly grew in power, wiped out opposition, and gained state power. In many cases, imperialists of the countries of the fascists handed them this power, and neighboring imperialists appeased them. In the 1930s and 40s, The world saw the terrifying brutality of fascism during the fascist onslaught that was World War II. The fascists of Nazi Germany, fascist Italy, Imperial Japan, Vichy France, and more unleashed their violence on the peoples of Europe, Asia, and Africa, taking anywhere between 35 to 60 million lives. Luckily for the time, the Axis powers, which was the fascist alliance of World War II, were defeated in 1945, primarily due to the USSR's monumental fight for their existence and what they call the Great Patriotic War that took over 20 million Soviet lives, but also due in part to the fighting of the other allied powers, which was the anti-fascist alliance of World War II, as well as millions of partisan fighters from several countries. Fascism did not go extinct, however. Of course, we have images on the side of Nazis and uh, Imperial Japanese inflicting their damage during World War II. But then we have the two very famous photos we're all familiar with of uh, American Marines planting the flag on Iwo Jima, as well as Soviet soldiers planting the Soviet flag over the Reichstag at the end of World War II, symbolizing the anti-fascist victory in that war. Following the Second World War, The surviving imperialist powers of the West, led by the United States, created NATO and resuscitated European fascism, taking fascists into their countries and keeping them at the ready for potential conflict with the Soviet Union throughout the Cold War. As the Cold War went on, the United States expanded their support for fascists to Latin America, such as in Chile with Pinochet, and in Brazil with Bronco, as well as in the Middle East, where the US supported Zionism in Israel, and a variety of fascistic Islamic extremist forces such as Saudi Arabia and the Mujahideen. It must be understood that the United States of America is not a fascist state. It is a capitalist empire that props up fascism around the world to serve its interests and wipe out revolutionary socialist movements. And over here on the side is an image of the signing of the North Atlantic Treaty in 1949, And of course, we all know that NATO was integral in rehabilitating the Nazis and resuscitating fascism in the world today. So we're going to stop for a round of uh, questions and comments.
1: Thank you. I just find it fascinating, especially with how hard we seem to be working, how easily fascism just like springs up, like within a few years of its founding, Mussolini was marching on Rome. Maybe it's because they need less people because they like the richer. So the more money you have, the less people you need to recruit. But I just find the speed at which it works fascinating and scary. Thank you.
0: Thank you, comrade. What surprised me and probably something that I didn't know is that fascism was really working uh, to, um, what do you call it, get the working class with them by using nationalism and scapegoating. So there were they were still trying to get the working class by using different modes that like worked quite fast, and um I had not really realized that that they were still trying to get the hearts and minds of the working class, but just used uh, other means to do that. All right, thank you, comrade. uh yeah, just quickly, I think you know
2: one thing that of course, liberals get or forget or leave out about fascism is that it's the open terroristic dictatorship of finance capital, you know, which Dimitrov says about it, which I think is obviously an important factor in fascism because, you know, we have, uh, because when Donald Trump was president, we had, you know, many liberals would say that Trump was a fascist, but then Biden is not a fascist. So it's, they're trying to kind of set up this belief that we can somehow vote out fascism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it it's it just it's inconsistent. You know, from from the liberal standpoint. So I just wanted to point that out.
1: Uh, yeah, I just wanted to bring up um, one thing. Like, you know, when we learned about this stuff in school, they never tell us that like the Access was also known as the uh, anti comintern Pact. So it's just really important to note that like anti-communism was really what motivated and united them. Um, And another thing was just want to mention really quick in 2016, there was a UN petition for combating the glorification of Nazism, and there was only two countries in the world that voted against that. They were the United States and Ukraine. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Um, So when it comes to the meteoric rise of fascism, one thing that I think is important to take note of is that the exact same conditions which give rise to a growing socialist movement also give rise to a growing fascist movement because what they do is they capitalize on discontent among the population and they build their movement like that. And they use ideas that are already comfortable to people, whereas communists are using new ideas. A good example of that historically is Huey Long, um, who he used populist rhetoric masked as quasi left-wing rhetoric to turn Louisiana into his own personal dictatorship, basically. Um, And a lot of his tactics can actually be seen reflected today in people like Andrew Yang, Uh, where Andrew Yang will, uh, he actually uses literally the exact same platform of a universal basic income and appealing to people's discontent and material instability combined with a nationalist rhetoric where for those of you who don't know, Andrew Yang is a third party. uh, He has the forward party and it's combined with several nationalist groups. Uh, It formed with a coalition of some nationalist uh, reactionary groups. And so these tactics, they repeat themselves Throughout history. And it is, uh, I think that one of the most dangerous mistakes that a lot of people on the left will make is they equate Republicans with fascists, where uh, Republicans definitely do promote fascistic policies. However, the most successful fascists in American history have actually started their careers as Democrats. Huey Long is a good example of that. Um, He successfully turned Louisiana into his own personal dictatorship, got up to Senate, and if it weren't for his assassination, who knows where he could
0: have gone. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for that, comrade. And I wanna remind us that we also had a, a class in, I believe, 2021, uh, that mentioned Huey Long, but that's definitely a class that we need to have again and reexamine uh, that character in American history. Yeah, I just wanted to add real quick that UN vote with uh, America and Ukraine voting against, you know, condemning fascism or Nazism. Uh, there is one other wrinkle to that. Uh, Israel abstained on that vote. That's all. Thank you, comrade. All right, I don't see any more hands up, so we can go ahead and go back to the presentation. So fascism in the world today. Fascist countries versus countries with fascists. Let us understand from the start that there is a critical distinction between a state which is verifiably fascist, such as Ukraine, for example, and countries that have fascists in them, even a few in power. Both deserve the attention of anti-fascists, but the nature of fascism in these countries has an impact on how to combat them. Ukraine, for example, is verifiably a fascist country. The people in power in Ukraine are among the most reactionary, most chauvinistic, most imperialist elements of Western finance capital and have actually gained and consolidated power. Beyond that, they've incorporated neo-Nazi militias into their military, banned all opposition parties, and honored the Bandera fascists of Ukraine's past. This fascism must be crushed at once. A country like Russia, on the other hand, has fascists in it for sure. However, they hold no significant power in the country. The Communist Party isn't banned and is the second largest party in Russia. And the country has led a special military operation since February, 2022, to denazify the aforementioned fascist Ukraine a move that was initially promoted by Russian communists. Therefore, while anti-fascists in Russia should by all means resist any Russian fascism, Russia does not deserve the attention of the world's anti-fascists in the same way as Ukraine at this time. So let's go ahead and get into Ukraine. Ukraine is a country that has only existed since 1991. It was formerly a part of the Soviet family, Which was destroyed by the counter revolutionary forces of Gorbachevists and Yeltsinists. It existed as a capitalist democracy for about 23 years between 1991 and 2014. During this time, it struggled with Western backed color revolution, such as in the Orange Revolution of 2004, as well as rising nationalism and its relationship with the Russian Federation and the European Union. In 2013, the Euromaidan began, which were a series of protests mostly organized by Ukrainian fascists. They took issue with the pro-Russian president Viktor Yanukovych and his administration's rejection of an economic relationship with the European imperialism and closer ties with Russia. These protests culminated in an undemocratic fascist coup in Ukraine, which ousted Yanukovych and began a series of events which would further exemplify the fascism of Ukraine. And over here on the side, we have a map and flag of Ukraine, just so that we're reminded of what we're talking about. We have the Orange Revolution of 2004, a picture from that up in the uh, top right corner. And down on the bottom here, we have a picture of the flags of the fascist right sector flying during the Euromaidan in 2014. So that just goes to show even more how fascists were involved from the start Uh, in that uh, fascist revolution in Ukraine. Following the fascist seizure of power in 2014, the Eastern regions of Ukraine, which are predominantly Russian-speaking, sought separation. Russia annexed Crimea in the March of 2014, and on May 2nd, 2014, the trade union building in Odessa was lit aflame by Ukrainian fascists, and 42 people died at the hands of those Ukrainian fascists. Stepan Bandera and other Ukrainian fascists from the 20th century were officially granted heroes of Ukraine, and their imagery pervaded much of Western Ukraine post-2014. Bandera is responsible for the deaths of thousands of Ukrainians, Russians, and Poles. In the Donbass region, for eight years the people suffered a war on them by the government of Ukraine. The National Guard absorbed the neo-Nazi Azov and Donbass battalions, and allowed them to carry out brutal warfare on civilians in the Donbass. At least 365 civilians were murdered by Ukraine between 2016 and 2021. In 2021, Russia began to build its forces on their border with Ukraine, and in 2022, they recognized the two republics in the Donbass, the Lugansk People's Republic and Donetsk People's Republic, and they invaded Ukraine with the expressed goal of denazification. This war is still continuing. And the images on the side, we have the trade union building in Odessa on fire on May 2nd, 2014. You can see the Ukrainian flag draped over one of the perpetrators. And then down here on the bottom left, we have a picture of a monument of Stepan Bandera that was erected in fascist Ukraine uh, post-2014. And on the right here, we have a comparison between the Azov battalion symbol and the uh, Nazi SS military unit symbol, uh, just showing the uh, neo-Nazism of this regime. And we have sources for further research on Ukraine. Uh, we, you can find uh, three of these on YouTube, that being the Eight Years Before documentary by The Revolution Report. It's a really good one that we've uh, had a couple of showings of before. Uh, Ukraine on Fire documentary by Oliver Stone. We showed that last year at the PSMLS. You can find that on YouTube. Uh, There's sort of a sequel to that that goes into more of Ukraine's history beyond just 2014 uh, called Ukraine, the Everlasting Present by Global Tree Pictures. That's available on YouTube. And then there's a great article called Fighting Fascism in Ukraine. That's by N. Butyaev of the Russian Communist Workers Party. It's on their website, and it's also in the issue of The Communist 2022. Uh, that, of course, is the publication of the PCUSA. Uh, so we can stop for another round of questions and comments real quick.
3: I, I, I think the history of the United States, uh, especially the corporations of the, the two-party system, is very consistent. Uh, I think the most democratic and uh, internationalist, uh, internationalist, within quotations, that I used to respect was uh, Roosevelt. But uh, what did uh, Comrade Angelo teach us about the role of uh, Roosevelt in the Second World War? I want to quote uh, Angelo, he says that when the Russians push, we'll uh, we'll stand with the Russians. When the Germans push, we'll stay with the Germans. Okay, so the history of the United States uh, in terms of uh, standing up to fascism is is uh, totally fallacious. It's as not as the United States does not have any history of standing up uh, to fascism. Even if you look at the Second World War, one of the major financiers of Hitler was uh, the Bush family, Mister Prescott or something like that. And uh, the United States did not up- oppose the attack on Ethiopia by fascist Mussolini. And actually, I think deep, uh, behind the curtains they probably uh, helped him, I, I, I don't, I cannot verify that. So I cannot say for truth. So now the fact that they support Zelensky, which is outright a fascist criminal, and as, uh, uh, the United States shows that seconds. he has no policy. He has no policy about democratic rights or fight, fighting fascism, that's my conclusion.
0: Thank you, comrade, and just a brief correction. Uh, It was Harry S. Truman that said the quote about if the Russians are winning, we should help the Germans. Germans are winning, we should help the Russians. Uh, Not Roosevelt that said that. Uh, But thank you, Uh, Comrade. General Secretary Angela, you have the floor.
4: Yeah. Ukraine did not come into existence in 1991. There was a Ukraine that goes way, way back. It is actually the first Russian state was in the Ukraine in Kiev before Moscow. There was a revolution in Ukraine, like there was in Russia, and the Bolsheviks took over, and the Ukraine became a Soviet socialist state. It was called Soviet Ukraine. So Ukraine always existed. It was called Soviet Ukraine. The flag you see now came into being in 1941 when the Germans invaded the Ukraine, Soviet Ukraine. They set up a puppet state with that flag. That was the flag from the puppet state, the the blue and the uh, yellow. Nobody mentions that, but that's where that flag came from. It didn't exist before then. The real flag for 70 years was the uh, Soviet Ukrainian flag with the hammer and sickle and the blue on the bottom. I just want to make that correction. Thank you.
1: I want to add to uh, General Secretary, during the invasion of Ukraine, over, not over, but uh, 250,000 Ukrainians um, joined the Nazis in the fight against Russia. That's all.
5: Yeah, comrade, I was going to tell you about something I found out not too long ago in uh, watching a video from uh, some French comrades that went to the Donbass. They interviewed a, a communist leader in Donetsk, the city of Donetsk and ask him how it all started in 2014. And he, re, and he recalled uh, what happened on uh, February 21st, 2014. That's two days before Yanukovych was actually overthrown. At the time, leading to that, the Nazis, the Yukro Nazis, we can say, were toppling Soviet monuments, Lenin statues, uh, heroes of the Red Army all over the country and in Donetsk city there's a big statue of Lenin in the main square and uh, the word was they were on their way to Donetsk city to topple that statue so the communist party of Donetsk appealed to the population to come out and surround the statue and protect it from the Yukro-Nazis and they did it was a massive gathering of people Okay, and that sparked the insurrection throughout the Donbass that's in Donetsk and Lugansk. Okay, and you know, um, 90 seconds. at the time, at the time uh, there was this, this uh, guy from the Donbass that I remember, they interviewed him back in 2014, I saw it. And uh, they said, what do you think about all this? And he said, we are Vatutin, they are Bandera. Now, you know who Bandera is, obviously, after so long we talk about him. But Vatutin was a Soviet general, Red Army general, who liberated Kiev. And just three months later, he was murdered by Bandera Army in an ambush. And the symbol of the Red Army in Ukraine is Vatutin against Bandera. So they said, we are Vatutin, they are Bandera. That's a whole opposition right there. Thank you.
6: All right, thank you. So I just wanted to touch on something that was we, uh, we talked about on Tuesday, and that was the, the yellow trade unionism, the trade unions that were backed by the U.S. and have aligned themselves with Azov in Ukraine. Um, that the Odessa trade union massacre was uh, brought up in the last slide, and the head of the confederation of trade unions of Ukraine, Mikhail Vonitz, not only was he involved with Maidan and Organized with the AFL-CIO through the CIA, through the Solidarity Center, they were organized protests to present them to the U.S. public that the trade unions were protesting the government as well. Uh, they, from what I uh, the, what I had read, uh, reports uh, were that they had taken office workers and dressed them up as the miners from the uh, Donbass region to, to parade around like they were striking uh, against the government. Meanwhile. Like, uh, they were fighting them in, in the Donbass area. Uh, but also, there, there were reports that in that trade union fire, the, these yellow unions uh, let in from the back members of those that set fights from inside, not just from outside going in. And they ambushed ambushed them on both sides. 90 seconds. So uh, just, just remember that, if that the fascists will won't use their own unions to go against the real union movement, thank
1: uh, thank you. So uh, I, I really am glad that Comrade mentioned that because it kind of illustrates two points. Uh, the first being not all unions are created equal. Um, the teachers union in Burkina Faso was used to undermine the socialist government ran by Comrade Thomas and kara uh, AFL-CIO unions participated in Chile to overthrow Allende. Uh, and the second point being those trade unions are banned in Ukraine now. So anybody who willingly took part in those movements, they sabotaged themselves by supporting fascists because they will always turn on you. They will always uh, illegalize trade unions, which is exactly what they've done. It is a hallmark of fascism. And it just kind of illustrates the point of Ukraine being full blown fascist. Thank you.
0: Thank you, comrade, and it also goes to illustrate as well that fascists will eat their own if it means developing their cause. So you know any fascist is is gonna be subject to possibly being turned on by their uh, fellow fascists. So we'll go ahead and jump back to the presentation. Um, This next part is gonna be on fascism in the world today and other foreign countries. So I'll go ahead and start. While there is a general lack of other countries that are verifiably fascist and can be called fascist states, There are a number of countries in which rising fascist movements should be cause for alarm and could result in the establishment of more fascist states. Here are a couple of notable examples. Italy. In July of 2022, following a government crisis which led to the fall of the Draghi government, President of Italy, Sergio Mattarella, dissolved the Italian parliament and called for new elections which led to a snap election in September. In that election, the neo-fascist Brothers of Italy party won an absolute majority of all the seats in the Italian parliament and their leader, Giorgio Maloney, who's pictured there on the right, was elected prime minister of Italy. This party has consistently shown admiration for Italian fascism, Mussolini, and the fascist Italian groups of the latter half of the 20th century. Their members have publicly performed the fascist salute, and the manager of the party actually said in 2019 that, quote, we must be free to be able to define ourselves as fascists. This is an evolving crisis deserving the attention of world anti-fascists, especially considering the history of fascism in Italy, its birthplace. Italy and their fascists also support Ukraine. Sweden. The Swedish Democrats are a far-right nationalist party that was originally started out of Swedish Nazism in the 1980s and 1990s, though the party supposedly rejects fascism and Nazism today. However, their ideology and party platform is based on Nordic nationalism, xenophobia, Islamophobia, and Euroscepticism. In the general election of October 2022, the Swedish Democrats was allocated chairmanship of four parliamentary committees for the first time in the Riksdag, which is their uh, governmental building, kind of like our capital. And the moderate party's Christensen cabinet, which is their executive branch, uh, must get confidence and supply from the Swedish Democrats. And that's confidence in motions, supply of budget. It's a form of parliamentarianism based on the Westminster system. For the first time in history, The Swedish Democrats now hold direct influence over the government. In July 2022, NATO signed an accession protocol to allow Sweden into the military coalition, and the Swedish government and Swedish Democrats have been supportive of fascist Ukraine since the invasion. Next country, Japan. There has been a reemergence of nationalism and militarism in Japan as of late. As in 2022, following the assassination of Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, the current Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida, called for the amendment of Japan's pacifist constitution and a rearmament of Japan. This coincides with renewed nationalism and the tone-deaf patriotism about Japan's role in World War II, as well as anti-Korean xenophobia. The rising sun flag has been seen more and more again in Japan as of late, such as at the 2022 World Cup and at Japanese protests. Japan also supports Taiwan and Ukraine. And on the bottom right here, we can see an image. This is actually from the 2022 World Cup of this flag in the center being the rising sun flag uh, that was used by Imperial Japan uh, during World War II and beforehand. And lastly, Brazil. On January 8th, 2023, Only two years and two days after the January 6th putsch in the United States, supporters of fascist former President Jair Bolsonaro performed a putsch at the government buildings in the capital of Brazil following the inauguration of Lula da Silva, who was imprisoned by Bolsonaro on corruption charges and was released recently and ran for president and won. Lula denounced the supporters as Nazis and fascists, Bolsonaro was in Miami, Florida at the time. Jair Bolsonaro's governance was one of assault on the Amazon rainforest, including the indigenous people living in it, as well as Christian nationalism and militarism. He praised the 1964 U.S.-backed fascist coup in Brazil, which installed a military junta in Brazil. In December 2008, Bolsonaro said that, quote, the error of the dictatorship was that it tortured but it did not kill," end quote. He has repeatedly remarked about how leftists, homosexuals, women, and indigenous people should be beaten, tortured, and shot, and has been connected with multiple assassinations of political opponents. For now, it seems Bolsonaro has accepted the election results and tried to distance himself from the putsch, but there is still a rising fascist movement in Brazil that supports him. Brazil has a history of being a fascist country before and could become one again, bringing fascism back to Latin America for the first time since the reign of Augusto Pinochet in Chile in the 1970s, which was also U.S. backed. Bolsonaro also supports Ukraine. And on the right, you can see an image of Bolsonaro supporters invading the Brazilian National Congress uh, earlier this month. So we'll go ahead and stop for another round of questions and comments.
7: it's funny that, um, what is it like, the granddaughter of Mussolini, I think uh, you just mentioned, Um, but not just her, the whole entire, uh, the new prime minister is fascist. How, like fascists, they tend to lie, and they say, oh, we're not going to do anything. We're not gonna support imperialism. We're not gonna support NATO. And then they just turn around and support NATO. Um, I don't know why people don't get the picture that you can't trust these you know, right-wing fascists. They, they lie. They just have to lie, that, or else they can't get into power. So keep that in mind, because that's what the Italian prime minister did, and I believe the uh, Swedish as well. And then uh, another note, uh, fascists is, tends to be uh, anti-Semitic. We, we know this. There are Jewish fascists, though. Um, I think the Jewish Defense League is a good example of that and we see that actually zionism itself kind of pushes anti-semitism because it sort of believes that uh the jews are you know unique in their situation of uh of oppression and it kind of puts it into that i uh anti-semitic trope and reverses it so while we have to be careful like um as well america is not a fascist state but we can't say that israel is a fascist state either and i'm sure we'll have uh psmls classes about that uh specifically and then uh yeah japanese fascists not only are they on the rise but they're the most annoying fascists because they have the loudest um inner like they just blur out down the streets and you can't think because you have to listen to them yell hateful
0: Japanese. That's all. Okay. Thank you, comrade. And I also want to say real quick, uh, one of the things that I really took away from this while making this class is that in the countries that were the Axis powers of World War II, uh, fascistic movements are rising again. Um, I didn't include it in this because it's not as uh, strong, but there is also a rising fascist movement in Germany again. And, of course, we know that the German state just sent uh, leopard tanks into Ukraine, uh, the first time that German tanks have crossed the borders of Ukraine since World War II. Um, So I just wanted to include that because that, I mean, that should be alarming to all of us. I know that we're so separated from World War II, and it's been, you know, almost 80 years since then. But that doesn't mean that these things can't come back. And it doesn't mean that it can't, you know, sprout in a new place like our own home. So...
6: I think that also, when it comes to the uh, when uh, when it comes to developments in, in Latin America, you have a lot of people in, in the southern states of, of, of Brazil who uh, have a family who uh, come directly from the uh, Nazis and, and Italian uh, diaspora uh, connected to the war.
0: Yeah. Thank you, comrade. And Comrade General Secretary, Angelo, you have the floor.
4: I want to remind everybody that after World War II, many fascists left Germany and Italy and went to South America. Don't forget that. I would not be surprised if some of their relatives and offspring are involved in this proto-fascist movement that you see in uh, Brazil. Remember, Portugal itself had a fascist government. Name was Salazar. At the same time that Franco was in uh, in power in Spain, right next to them, Portugal, Salazar. Now, how did Salazar get out of power? There was an an uprising by the army led by the Communist Party. You should all know that. We should have a class on that. What happened in 1974 to get rid of uh, Salazar? What happened? And I want everybody to know that the general secretary of the party in Portugal, went to get medical help before he died to the Soviet Union. His name was Kunhal, C-U-N-H-A-L, and uh, he was pro-Stalin when many Communist Party leaders were not pro-Stalin in 74. This guy was still pro-Stalin. I just wanted to give you a background of that. The other thing is about Netanyahu in Israel. Listen carefully. Netanyahu had very new relations with Trump. Remember that. Netanyahu passed a law within the last year that Palestinians are officially second-class citizens. I don't know if you all know that. That is the law. That Palestinians, that's been unheard of before. Israel had been a petty bourgeois democracy in the Middle East for years. They allowed the Communist Party uh, to exist, Marquis. M-A-K-I, the Communist Party of Israel, is active and flourishing. It has a youth movement and its involvement in the peace movement is very strong. They've never been attacked. But things are changing in Israel. And remember what happened three weeks ago. Zelensky from the Ukraine, who is a nominal Jew, you know what that means. He's nominally Jewish. I don't know if you know this, but he goes around with a cross around his neck because he was brought up by Christians. That's how Jewish Zelensky is. Uh, So he went to Israel, and he was taking pictures with Netanyahu. So there's a connection there also between uh, Zionism and anti-Semitism and fascism. Also, the last thing, fascism does not have to be anti-Semitic. It has to be anti-something. It could be anti-immigrant, it could be anti-Jewish, it could be anti-black, but it has to be a scapegoat. There has to be a scapegoat. In Germany, the Jews were the scapegoat. In this country, fascism has Jews in the scapegoat, but you can't have Jewish people who are fascist. The scapegoat is not Jews because they're Jewish, the scapegoat is Palestinians in Israel or immigration immigrants in other countries. I just want you to understand that. That's all. Thank you.
1: Yeah, uh, I just want to respond to Angela real quick. In uh, Argentina, I, bu- it's, I believe it's Argentina, there's uh, several towns that are named um, after German people, and these they speak German there their ancestors from German uh, Nazis. And they actually floss swastikas and they have parades celebrating like key Nazi events. And like, that's like their culture thing that they, they do. It's probably more than just that uh, in Argentina. It's probably more than that. But I know it's uh, at least several towns because I've, I've, I've looked into that. But yeah.
0: Thank you, comrade. And one thing that I want to add when it comes to Uh, Nazis basically being repatriated in South America, is if that scares us, you know, the amount of Nazis that ended up in South America and, you know, where their ancestors are at and what they're doing to propel fascism there, Uh, there were more Nazis that actually came to the United States after World War II. So keep in mind that there's, you know, probably a lot of different descendants of Nazis in the United States that are working within fascist movements here. And so... There's still the real threat of that here in our own home. Uh, yes, I, I know
2: that uh, uh, Dr. D'Angelo uh, mentioned uh, Salazar in Portugal, but uh, Salazar like uh, died or left office in 1940, I mean 1970, and like his, so he wasn't in power during the nation revolution. Just wanted to point
0: that out, just a nitpick. Thanks. All right, comrade, thank you for the correction. All right, we're going to go ahead and jump back to the presentation now. Uh, This next part is going to be on fascism in the United States of America today. A brief history of American fascism. It is important to understand that American fascism is different than Nazi fascism and that American fascism is a lot more based on Christian nationalism, white supremacy, and a sense of pride in America's colonial and imperial history. American fascism truly came to being in the 1920s when fascism was being invented in Europe. But it had its roots in what can be considered proto-fascist movements, of the Confederate States of America, which the Union had defeated in the Civil War, the Ku Klux Klan and the 100% Americans and more. America's westward expansion and accompanying genocide of indigenous people in North America was very inspirational to German fascists later on uh, for their ideas of Lebensraum and what they did the genocide in Europe. Then as World War I came and went and American imperialism was becoming a powerhouse and American businessmen were making deals worldwide, millionaires like Henry Ford and JP Morgan funded, aided, and praised the Nazis and provided them with breakthroughs in their transportation, concentration camps, and weaponry. And over on the right, we have a depiction of a battle in the American Civil War, As well as on the bottom uh, right, we have a picture of the Ku Klux Klan gathered for a cross burning in the early 1900s. Just to go ahead and exemplify uh, these two groups uh, that were kind of could be seen as proto fascist movements in America. When fascism was coming into existence formally in Europe in Italy, Germany and Spain, fascist movements were attempting to establish themselves in America. The most notable example of a planned seizure of power by fascists in the United States during this time was that of the Business Plot of 1933, which was organized by American fascists who wanted to overthrow Franklin Delano Roosevelt and install a fascist regime in the United States friendly to the Axis powers. It was foiled by Smedley Butler, among others, and a coup was never attempted. The America First Committee was then formed in 1940, with the main policy being that of isolationism from the war in Europe, thus avoiding American war against fascism. They reached around 800,000 members at one point in 1940. And comrades understand that's more than the population of some large cities in America. Luckily, however, because of the attack on Pearl Harbor and the German declaration of war on the United States, Their popularity quickly dwindled, and they were dissolved on December 11th, 1941, uh, only four days after the attack on Pearl Harbor. And over here, we have a picture of Smedley Butler with associates on the 1930s. He's the one that's kind of here in the middle with the different insignia on his chest, different medals and whatnot. And then down here on the uh, bottom left, we have a logo of the America First Committee, uh, just kind of showing uh, what it was like back then this is the part about the present day now. Since the end of World War II, different neo-Nazi, white supremacist, and Christian nationalist groups and movements have sprung up and gone out of existence. The Aryan Brotherhood is probably the most notable example, usually formed of imprisoned white Americans who have joined into it as a racist gang. They're more focused on operating like a criminal gang than a political force, however. Since 2016, And the campaign and presidency of Donald Trump, a borderline fascist who championed xenophobia, transphobia, racism, Islamophobia, and even the America First slogan, in addition to the regressive rebirth myth of Make America Great Again, fascist groups have emerged in America, and a rising fascist movement has been visible for a few years. In 2017, for example, American fascists marched with tiki torches in Charlottesville, Virginia, shouting, Jews will not replace us and blood and soil the night before the Unite the Right rally there. The next day, anti-fascists clashed with them and the night ended with an American woman named Heather Heyer being killed by a fascist who crashed his car at high speed into a crowd of protesters. Donald Trump denounced the event but blamed both sides and also said there were good people on both sides too. Uh, which is of course hard to believe considering one side was American fascists that were uh, shouting Jews will not replace us and all that. Uh, And of course we have the pictures on the side of former U.S. President Donald Trump, as well as a picture of the event in Charlottesville, Virginia, where American fascists were holding lit tiki torches. Other notable events involving violent fascists in the last few years include clashes between fascist street militias such as the Proud Boys, Patriot Prayer, Patriot Front, Three Percenters, and Oath Keepers, and unfortunately mostly anarchists, anti-fascists in Portland, Oregon, Berkeley, California, Oregon City, Oregon, and more since at least 2017. Fascist groups have also planned and attempted attacks on LGBT+ events, such as the Pride event in Cordele, Idaho, in 2022, where Patriot Front members were busted, armed to the teeth, in the back of a U-Haul truck ready to assault the event. When the 2020 U.S. general election came and the results were that Joseph Biden would become the next president of the United States, Trump and his supporters immediately rejected the election results, spread misinformation that the election was stolen, and openly organized online the January 6, 2021 push at the U.S. Capitol Building in Washington, D.C. This was a fascist show of power that is unrivaled in the history of the United States. Many disparate fascist groups were in attendance. Some even Antifa jacketing or Fed jacketing each other, meaning so many different people had came that they were even turning on each other at the event. Some protesters wore shirts saying six million wasn't enough or 6MWE, which means six million wasn't enough. And what they're talking about is Jews. And we know, of course, what they're trying to say there. And at the end of the day, two officers lie dead at the hands of protesters while only one protester was killed by police forces in the Capitol building. And we have the pictures over on the left is Proud Boys marching before a clash in Portland, Oregon. And the one in the center is Enrique Tarrio. He's the one that's on the graphic for this class. He's one of the main uh, kind of fascists involved in that. And then on the uh, bottom left, we have the crowds outside the U.S. Capitol building on January 6, 2021. The status of the American fascist movement as of this moment is that it does not have any significant power in the United States. However, that does not mean it is not gaining power and consolidating it. At least two January 6th participants have been elected to Congress in 2022, and violent fascists have ran successfully for positions all the way from school boards and city councils to state representatives and senators. It is also worth noting that a significant section of the Republican Party, or GOP, Grand Old Party, has defended the January 6th putsch, as well as other fascist actions, individuals, and policies. Right-wing candidates for 2024's presidential election have all given varying degrees of alarming statements about their views and thoughts for the future of this country. Former President Donald Trump quietly walked away from the putsch, but recently mentioned suspending articles of the Constitution with regards to elections based on his claim of the 2020 election being fraudulent. Ron DeSantis is another frontrunner candidate who has championed anti-LGBT plus laws, is very anti-communist, would be just as bad, if not worse, than Trump. I want to add to this, I didn't put it in the presentation here, but he also was involved before in uh, torturing at Guantanamo Bay. He actually did that himself. And then Ye, also known as Kanye West, is a celebrity running for president who was close to Trump during his presidency and recently made very overtly pro-Hitler and pro-Nazi remarks on the fascist talk show Infowars with Alex Jones. Whether a fascist revolution occurs in America by legal means, such as it did for Hitler in the 1930s, or through a violent coup d'etat like Chile in 1973, remains to be seen yet. But what can be said is that a semi-organized American fascist movement is rising. And with the United States of America already holding economic hegemony over a lot of the world and upholding a massive military empire that spans the globe, anti-fascists of the world must rise to the task of stopping fascism in America, and it is the most important task that we have. And we're going to stop for another round of questions and comments. Uh, So we'll go ahead and go to the hands that we have.
4: Okay, I'll make it quick. This is an old George Dimitrov quote. As the center falls out, the extremes grow. And he used as an example, in chemistry, the machine that you put test tubes in, if you know what that is, the machine goes in a circle. It goes very fast. And as it goes fast, the liquid, In the test tubes goes to the extreme and that's exactly what Dmitrov is trying to say that when the center falls out in extreme circumstances the extremes grow and that's both extremes of the left and the right and the extremes meaning communism or socialism on one end and fascism at the other that's all I wanted to mention thank you Okay.
7: Um, One thing I just wanted to point out is monopoly power and involvement in the rise of fascism, where really the purpose of monopoly power, capitalist monopoly power, is to reduce the anti-monopoly power, which is the working class power, and lead the way for the fascist takeover. So that's something that Henry Winston talks about. Um, I have a question, which is fascism really is a at least in history has been a reaction to that kind of power of working class power, communist power, taking a hold in a country. And it's kind of the capitalist response or the monopoly response to that. If you will, fascism is a disease. The best analogy I could think of, and I'm sorry, but uh, this is the best analogy I could think of is it's like the host is capitalism and the disease is fascism. It's kind of like, um, uh, Chicken pox or or like herpes, you can't remove it. It will always come back. And then when stress, when the host is stressed again, out comes, you know, fascism, and it just kind of festers up again. But my question is, so is that necessary to have a strong labor movement in order for fascism to take over? Well, fortunately, January 6, nothing happened. I would say the centrists have still quite large control and leftist movements did not take over or did not really weren't strong so why would the imperialist powers need to let the fascists take over but that's kind of a question that I would like to be answered does it need those kinds of labor communist powers to be at hold in order for fascism to
4: take over yeah uh, it's very simple Dimitrov again the father of all this said that when the capitalists can no longer govern using a velvet glove right? They can't govern that way. Therefore, they're going to use the iron fist. And that's why fascism always emanates from capitalism, not from socialism or communism. The way the middle-class, petty bourgeois-oriented mass media try to make you think that fascism is on the right, socialism and communism is on the left, and what's normal is capitalism in the center. That's the way they present it and their media presents it that way, right? Dimitrov says the opposite. He says that all comes from capitalism, fascism. When they can no longer control things, things get out of hand. They take away the velvet glove that they dealt with society and they'll use the iron fist. The iron fist means crush the trade union movement, across the communist movement, that's what they'll do. And that's what happened in Ukraine. Think about it. They couldn't control it anymore. The oligarchs who took over the Ukraine after 1991 could not control it uh, by 2014. It took them a couple of years. They couldn't do it anymore. 90 and seconds. that's why they came down with what they did. Thank you.
0: All right, thank you, comrade.
4: Thank you. There is a growing labor movement. There
1: is a growing left-wing movement in America, and it does have the genuine beginnings of power. We nearly had a very impactful railroad strike uh, recently. Union participation and union development is at a high that it has not been seen at in years. Uh, Interest in socialism, interest in communism is rising. And uh, right now, the left-wing and labor movement in America is largely dominated by more moderate forces or by anarchists, but it is still there. Um, The presence of a powerful communist party is not a prerequisite for fascism. It's a prerequisite for beating fascism. Uh, but there is a uh, labor movement. There is a leftist movement that has been growing in strength, uh, even if communists are not currently at the forefront of it. Um, And so that is, uh, I hope that that answers your question. Um, And second off, I want to draw attention to something that I don't think was adequately mentioned in this uh, presentation, which is the ties of the American state to the fascist movement that exists. Um, For example, the Los Angeles Sheriff Department has several police gangs within their department, some of which are open fascists. Um, Out in Portland, there was an anarchist who killed a uh, proud boy. Uh, His name was Michael Rainhold. And afterwards, Portland police sent several squad cars across state lines and dumped several dozen bullets into him. Uh, It was a gangland style killing. 90 seconds. Uh, The FBI has known about the presence of fascists within their ranks for years and has done nothing about it. Um, And so the American state apparatus, the police, the intelligence agencies are filled with fascists. Uh, And so that is something that deserves adequate attention is the fact that uh, this fascist movement is not just within the civilian population, but is also within the arms of the state. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. And that reminds me, I want to bring up as well that even with the January sixth push, um, the FBI knew about it, if not uh, instigated it, uh, for a, a good time before the the push actually happened. And one of the results of that was they were able to use it to put forth more state policies against terrorism in broad terms. And there was actually something in the beginning of the Biden administration, and I don't remember the specific policy, but it was like. Policies enacted against domestic terrorists that they defined as like anarchists, vegan activists, I believe socialists, uh, a couple of other different things that weren't fascists. Now, they did have like white supremacists on there and I think like Aryan groups. But the point is they used that event that they were involved in to go ahead and put forth more policies to repress the left and repress uh, the labor movement in the United States so i just wanted to to put that in there and it kind of reminds uh one of of the reichstag fire or the crystal uh, knot in in germany and how these things were used to scapegoat and then go after uh the opposition to the nazis so i just wanted to include that in there thank you
2: so to start with, I was uh, I cons- would consider myself uh, leftist until actually fairly recently when a uh, friend comrade <clears throat> has more or less radicalized me at this point, which I appreciate. I my question is, uh, what do we as communists really need to do to combat this, or is that going to be ha- happening later on? I see that we're doing education. There may be more
6: happening that I'm not familiar with, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So thank you.
0: Yeah, so I can go ahead and give a brief response to this. um, And maybe we might be able to get to a little bit of the reading of this. But Dimitrov gives us one of the first tasks, and that's building a united front uh, here in the United States. And I see that happening. Uh, There's actually a group in California called the California United Front, some of us have been working with. Um, There's different uh, uh, moves and, and thoughts in the direction of of building different united front groups in the united states Uh, we just need to make sure that we are involved in that and that we're trying to be at the forefront of that Um, beyond that building up our socialist movement building up the party building up our mass organizations if we don't want the fascists to take power we need to be more ready for ourselves to do that Um, and we're not going to be ready if we don't have people in it and we're not disciplined and organized. So that would be my response. Maybe Comrade General Secretary wants to add something onto that.
4: Yeah, I would. Everyone here, be careful of those who join us and then try to split us. Be aware of that. They are an enemy. Whether they realize it or not, it is not important. Lenin said it very clearly. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. So it doesn't matter what their subjective reason for splitting or wrecking the results of the objective results that it weakens us. So communists have always said unity. That doesn't mean we all agree, but it means unity in a common struggle against something. In this case, it's fascism. So we need to work together. We can disagree. But when we take that disagreement, comrades, and go into the direction of attacking and wrecking other organizations that are fighting fascism, then beware of them. Ask yourself the question, who are they really working for? Who are they doing the work for? Is it for the anti-fascist movement or is it gonna benefit the man, the ruling class? Thank you.
0: Thank you, comrade.
4: Uh, yeah, I just wanted
8: to kind of, I guess, uh, like the institutions of the state and um, like tentacles of conscious fascist elements or fascistic, at least um, in Minneapolis, former head of the police TV union is a like known white supremacist who's the head of a, a motorcycle gang called City Heat. Like the, Minneapolis used to be the that, like stronghold of the national socialist movement before the 1980s, 90s, and they were forced out. Um, but still, they still have that that those type of positions. His wife is one of the popular uh, like local news anchors. So they have tentacles within um, a lot of the state and superstructure type institutions like that um, that are just hiding in plain sight.
2: And uh, Enrique Tarrio himself ended up coming out as an FBI informant, didn't he? And then also I have a question, if, uh, if anyone has an opinion on the Boogaloo Boys, since we mentioned some of the openly fascist organizations, I've heard kind
0: of mixed results and I haven't really looked much into it. And that's it. Yeah, I'll respond real quick. Um, uh, to be honest, I, I don't know about the, much about the actual ideology of the Boogaloo Boys. I've seen different people on the left associate with them in varying degrees before. Um, I wouldn't touch them with the 10-foot pole. Uh, I think that they're fascist, um, but I don't know. It remains to be seen. I would like to respond to that. Go ahead. You have the floor coming.
1: The Boogaloo Boys are non-ideological civil war cosplayers. Um, That's the best way I can think of to put it. Um, Many of them are fascists. Many of them are not. All of them are fetishizing the idea of civil war and revolution and are excited and foaming at the mouth for it. Overall, it's a harmful tendency and group, and they are destructive whether they come from the left or the right.
6: Uh, what I was gonna say is that I think a dimension too, uh, that I think is worth mentioning is how there are I think I think another dangerous trend too is uh, is also people who want to use the use the uh language of uh, liberation to defend the actions of the bourgeois state. I think that's something
2: important. Yeah, just to kind of go back on Dimitrov, I know he's said some really important things, but I think something that is also very important for the left in general is that um, we see much of the left harbors this like national nihilism tendency within them. They say there is no revolutionary past, (laughs) there's no revolutionary potential for the working class, and like Dimitrov says, um, the fascists are digging up all of history to to use. And if we don't use the uh, the past of the working class, the working class movement in this country, we are voluntarily handing that over to them. We are handing over the history of this country to the fascists. And so I think that's very important because we get this very... Uh, this very destructive ideology from people who join the left where they, you know, like I said, they, they say that there's no revolutionary potential in the proletariat or the working class. There's nothing there. We just need to just burn everything down. It doesn't get us anywhere and it doesn't, the American working class doesn't, they don't like that. We don't get anywhere with with that. Uh, we don't get them on our side because all they see is that we just want to destroy
8: what they are familiar with. So. That's what I wanted to say. I wanted to say about the Boogaloos, they tried coming out from Minneapolis during the George Floyd uprising, and, uh, well, they seemed to have just Googled where the Black neighborhood was, and uh, so figured out pretty quick that the, the crypts are much better organized and better at patrolling uh, their own streets than, uh, little, you know, boys from Texas. Um, and then uh, they, put, they had been placing crates of, like, uh, like supplies for Molotov cocktails, but they didn't put them like in any neighborhoods because uh, like, they seemed to have just thought people were like, invading the city from the outside. They just didn't seem to un- really understand the, how uh, riots happen and work like that when the people are rising up themselves. So there were all these crates of supplies around downtown that was just barren. There was nobody there. It's like, it just wasn't how it went down. But uh, so it was pretty funny, actually. Yeah, they proved themselves very, very incompetent.
0: Thank you, comrade. All right, I don't see any other hands up. So what I think we can do real quick is we can't do the full reading for tonight, but I would like to go ahead and skip forward to the part where Comrade Dimitrov talks about what we should do in the United States of America. And this is from the Fascist Offensive in the Tasks of the Communist International, which you can buy on newoutlookpublishers.store. The United States of America. Let us take, for example, so important a country in the capitalist world as the United States of America. There, millions of people have been set into motion by the crisis. The program for the recovery of capitalism has collapsed. Vast masses are beginning to abandon the bourgeois parties and are at present at the the crossroads. Embryo American fascism is trying to direct the disillusionment and the discontent of these masses into reactionary fascist channels. It is a peculiarity of the development of American fascism that at the present stage, it comes forward principally in the guise of an opposition to fascism, which it accuses of being an un-American trend imported from abroad. And contradistinction to German fascism, which acts under the anti-constitutional slogans American fascism tries to portray itself as the custodian of the Constitution, and quote, American democracy, end quote. It does not as yet represent a directly menacing force, but if it succeeds in penetrating the wide masses who have become disillusioned with the old bourgeois parties, it may become a serious menace in the very near future. And what would the victory of fascism in the United States involve? For the mass of working people, it would, of course, involve the unprecedented strengthening of the regime of exploitation and the destruction of the working class movement. And what would be the international significance of this victory of fascism? As we know, the United States is not Hungary, nor Finland, nor Bulgaria, nor Latvia, the victory of fascism in the United States would vitally change the whole international situation. Under these circumstances, can the American proletariat content itself with organizing only its class-conscious vanguard, which is prepared to follow the revolutionary path? No. It is perfectly obvious that the interests of the American proletariat demand that all its forces dissociate themselves from the capitalist parties without delay. It must find in good time ways and suitable forms to prevent fascism from winning over the wide mass of discontented working people. And here it must be said that under American conditions, the creation of a mass party of the working people, a workers and farmers party, might serve as such a suitable form. Such a party would be a specific form of the mass people's front in America and should be put in opposition to the parties of the trusts and the banks and likewise to growing fascism. Such a party, of course, will be neither socialist nor communist, but it must be an anti-fascist party and it must not be an anti-communist party. The program of this party Must be directed against the banks, trusts, and monopolies, against the principal enemies of the people who are gambling on the woes of the latter. Such a party will justify its name only if it defends the urgent demands of the working class, only if it fights for the genuine social legislation, for employment insurance, only if it fights for the land of the white and black sharecroppers and for their liberation from debt burdens. Only if it tries to secure the cancellation of the farmer's indebtedness. Only if it fights for an equal status for blacks. Only if it defends the demands of the war veterans in the interests of the members of the liberal professions, small businessmen, and artisans, and so on. It goes without saying that such a party will fight for the election of its own candidates to local government, to the state legislators, and to the House of Representatives and the Senate. Our comrades in the United States acted rightly in taking the initiative and setting up of such a party, but they still have to take effective measures in order to make the creation of such a party the cause of the masses themselves. The questions of forming a workers and farmers party and its program should be discussed at mass meetings of the people. We should develop the most widespread movement for the creation of such a party and take the lead in it. In no case must the initiative of organizing the party be allowed to pass to elements desirous of utilizing the discontent of the millions who have become disillusioned in both the bourgeois parties, Democratic and Republican, in order to create a third party in the United States as an anti-communist party, a party directed, against the revolutionary movement. And with that, we're gonna stop for our last round of questions and comments. So I'll go ahead and let Comrade General Secretary uh, have the floor.
4: Yeah, I haven't read this and I'm so glad to hear this because that's exactly what we've been doing. That's what communists have been doing for years. In 1948, We knew that Truman was an anti-communist, and we knew the Republican opponent was an anti-communist. We knew both of them were against the workers' interests, against trade unionism. So what did we do? We set up with other forces in the Congress of Industrial Organizations, CIO, trade unions, and other mass organizations, we set up a party called the Progressive Party. And the candidate we ran was Henry Wallace. Who was he? He was the vice president of the United States during the administration of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So he, we did not uh, put up a socialist, a communist, anybody on the left. We put up somebody who was opposed to the monopolies, who was going to fight the trust and the monopolies, who was going to fight anti communism. And that's what the position. Of, uh, of the Progressive Party was. And that was a correct view. And we need to do that again. We had a McCarthy period, it destroyed everything. We need to start all over again. And this is the electoral way of doing it. This country at this moment, Lenin would be the first to sell us this. is not ready for a revolution, not at this moment. So while we're waiting to build that force, we support an electoral formation that'll bring the workers some reforms, real reforms, not fake reforms. And that's what communists should be doing. Thank you.
0: Thank you,
2: comrade. Oh yeah, I was just thinking when they talk about like uh, the bankers plot and everything. And uh, I saw this movie, Amsterdam, it's on HBO Max. I saw it in theaters. uh, It's uh, loosely based on uh, the, bankers plot
0: and uh, how they tried to overthrow FDR. It's pretty interesting. All right, we've reached the end of our class and we're gonna start wrapping up now. Thank you all for uh, attending tonight and thank you for the great contributions uh, to this conversation. I'm glad that we were able to at least read a little bit of Dimitrov, that part about the United States Uh, was so important and honestly, it could have been wrote yesterday. Um, So I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen so that we can go ahead and hear the last song of tonight. This is the Song of the United Front in English. And just because he's
7: human, a man would like a little bite to eat. He won't get full on a lot of talk that would give him bread and meat.
1: Thank you for watching this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. For more information, or to join our free classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube, listen to our streams on Spotify, and chat with us on Reddit.